0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I have a returning guest on today's podcast. Um, Episode 108 um, was Dennis Schleicher. And Dennis, who lives on the East Coast, is back in my home recording this podcast in March. And so Dennis Schleicher joins us on the podcast again. About a year ago, we released that podcast. So he's going to give us an update on his life since that time. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis.
1: Richard, it's always—you're you, a great influence in my life, and I just want to thank you for being there before I was baptized and after I was baptized.
0: For those of you that aren't aware of Dennis' story, Dennis is the author of a book published by Cedar Fort. It came out in August of 2019 called—tell us, the, our listeners, the name of your book.
1: It's Is He Nuts? Uh, why Would a Gay Man Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ?
0: So that is a unique story that Dennis has. Um, Dennis is really have a national footprint as a gay American before he joined the church. He's been on Larry King Live and and another show that I forgot the name of.
1: Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and dozens of others. And
0: dozens of others, and then joined the church. And that's a lot what episode 108 talked about, was this great man's journey into the church, and then felt impressed to write this book if you haven't read the book, I encourage you to read it. It's available at Desert Book. It's available at Amazon. It's available on the Cedar Fort website. And you could just put in the name Dennis Schleicher, S-C-H-L-E-I-C-H-E-R. And the title of the book is, Is He Nuts? Then um, Why a Gay Man Would Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I think it's a slightly shorter title than that. But Dennis and I, Dennis is here for North Star. North Star is a conference that occurred here in Salt Lake City. Wonderful group. Dennis will talk about North Star. Dennis spoke at North Star, and that's part of the reason he's in town. So we just wanted to, um, I wanted our listeners to have an update with um, Dennis. I get a lot of messages from people, and often I turn them to Dennis <laughs> And Dennis gets thousands of messages without me turning others to him. So maybe this podcast will be helpful for many of the people listening, reaching out to Dennis so that some of the questions that he get asked, can he can direct people to this podcast for longer answers that may free up a little bit of his time uh, not to have to write long answers to all the wonderful questions he gets. Dennis is doing a lot of firesides around um, the church, devotionals, family home evenings, as well as his church assignment that shows up on LDS Tools, and and um, he would like to continue to do those. So if you were local leaders or listening, Dennis would be somebody you could contact. Um, really a wonderful guy to talk about what it's like to be a gay Latter-day Saint, and obviously bridge that gap between LGBTQ members and faithful Latter-day Saints. And I've always felt having firesides, devotionals with FHEs, it's better Sometimes I get invited to do those but it's actually better when our LGBTQ members do those cuz that's on my heart. My heart didn't really change from having straight people tell me about LGBTQ bill. It changed from hearing LGBTQ people. So with that is that an okay introduction?
1: That's per I got goosebumps so I know the Holy <laughs> Ghost is present and I can feel the spirit of heavenly father so thank you.
0: Um so we both prayed that this a good spirit would be here and it would help you our listeners. Um so talk about we just got a bunch of questions in no particular order I'm going to ask Dennis um you've turned national media's reached out to you obviously as as whenever probably there's an LGBT LDS issue in the church and your book and your public presence yes the church um national media reach out to you for a comment or for a
1: thought yes i've been um asked by the view and the today show and and fox and And national talk shows, if I would appear, and I prayed about it, and it just didn't feel right. And that's kind of shot me in the foot because nobody knows who Dennis is. Nobody knows about my transformative autobiography that I was asked by the church to write to share my journey as becoming an openly gay man who once wanted to protest the church and stole the Book of Mormon out of anger and and frustration to actually now you know being a full temple recommend holder and serving as a ward mission well actually now i'm uh first councilman to the elders quorum presidency uh working as a uh, a missionary with missionaries all over the world
0: um yeah, talk more just about why you felt impressed not to do that. Is it because you worry the national media will turn your story, or is it because you just feel like that's not the right way for you to serve right now? Okay, because so, you obviously have experience with yeah. the national media and are very comfortable in that platform.
1: Yeah, this is interesting. So it first started with uh, the Salt Lake City Tribune. Uh, I wanted to. They reached out to me three times, and it just didn't feel right. And I had asked them if they could. Uh, allow us to proofread it before, because I've been misquoted before in the media and I don't like it. And I just, it just didn't feel right. And I just felt that they were going to say the next Mormon gay convert, you know, or, and they wouldn't allow me to do that. But when I do LDS bloggers or, or they want to interview me, they are very adamant. You need to proofread this to make sure it's hundred percent accurate because I don't want to go to print and have it be, inaccurate information and then have to go and correct it. Whereas the national media spotlight, they're just looking for the sensationalism of it. You know, we have this guy who's called, is he nuts? And we're going to have him on our show or it's just, it's, I didn't feel right about it. And yes, it could have helped me or help, you know, strengthen pe- people to know about our church and to know that we do love and accept all. However, I didn't want to compromise my integrity doing that. And I didn't want that to come back and say, you know, because I work with general authorities. I work with Area 70s. I work with mission presidents. And and I didn't want them to see me, you know, in the news and happen to explain why I was, you know, it was embellished or it was elaborated. And it just wasn't the true story.
0: That's an honest answer. um, And I admire you. Um, cause a lot of people would enjoy that experience and you're a veteran of that experience, but I recognize you're following the spirit and setting up boundaries for how to get your message out there.
1: But Richard, that was the old dentist, the LGBT advocate, the one that was in charge of Connecticut pride and the one that wanted to start the LGBT protests at the Hartford temple, the dedication with 500 to a thousand people. And I used to have a TV show and I've been on soap operas. I've been on you know, commercials. So I'm used to, I was a lifestyle reporter. I'm used to being out there and I also know how things get sensationalized. So I just felt that it wasn't my path now and I have to give it to him. I have to give it to Heavenly Father.
0: That's a great answer. If I were Larry King and you were on the Larry King show and and you trusted me, what, what are some of the questions I, I would ask you that you'd, you'd like me to ask you Or what, you know, just anything's come to your mind if you were Mm. on a national media platform and it was a platform where you could be share what you really wanted to share without a concern of anything being sensationalized.
1: Well, I'm a fun guy, so I don't mind having fun, but it has to be done in a clean setting and in in standards. But I, I would say ask your normal questions, but don't sensationalize it in the subtitles and don't sensationalize it you know, with, with, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am not the Mormon gay convert. I happened, I chose to be a member of the church. I didn't choose to be gay. And I think that if, if you were going to be asking me questions, just, just go with what's in your heart. Don't go with what you think is going to get the ratings or what's going to get the, the, the national spotlight that's going to be picking up and all the Twitter feeds are going to be blowing up over you know, embellishing or making a situation more than what it actually is.
0: It's good. I like that answer. And I recognize you understand this better than I do, the role of some media to sometimes sensationalize things. And and you've got these two parts of who you are, gay and a Latter-day Saint. You said something very interesting there. I hope our listeners caught that. You said, I chose to be a Latter-day Saint. I didn't choose to be gay. Yes, Explain that more for our listeners, just so they understand what you meant.
1: Well, for many, many years, um, and I wrote about this in my book, um, I'm Out, because I was feeling compelled to, I wasn't, I didn't want, it was Fast Sunday, and I didn't want to go up to the podium. And I went to bed saying, I'm not going up, I'm not going up, I'm not going up. And then I ended up, just before my alarm went off, I hit my iPhone, and an episode, I kept waking up every 10 minutes saying, you have to go up, you have to go up. And I'm going, God, I need my sleep, please. Is this before you remember or after you remember? After I was a member. Got it. And so I hit my um, I hit my uh, my snooze button and what ended up coming on for my alarm was, hello, this is Richard Osler. And this is the first episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And you went on and I'm going... Seriously, got like one message. So I ended up um, saying, still, I'm going to ignore this prompting. I'm not going up. And I ended up um, sitting in, you know, those sessions, those uh, fast Sundays when nobody gets up and everyone's just sitting there and it's like silence for a couple of minutes. Well, that happened. And then finally, one sister got up and unfortunately, she only got up to give me accolades. And saying, thank you for strengthening her testimony and thank you for doing this. But I was like going, oh no, this is like, and then I ended up going up, but I wanted to, my whole life, I struggled with being gay because I was told I was going to hell and that Jesus didn't love me and God was going to strike me dead. So I was, I was... I found a church that that told me Jesus loves you. He loves everybody. God loves you. He made you as a child of God. And when the general authority had asked me to write the book, and he said, "What do your gay friends say to you when you join the church?" and I'm like, "Are you nuts? They're going to have you married off to a woman in no time." And he said, "Son, that's what I want your your book to be about." It's called "Is He Nuts? Why Would a Gay Man Become Mormon?" That was when we were allowed to say more Mormon. Mormon, yeah. yeah. And I looked at him and go, you're nuts. I didn't join the church to write a book. And again, I ignored that prompting. So it was something that... um, Richard, I forgot your question, and I so apologize. You're doing
0: good. It's just sort of this idea that... Um, You you didn't choose to be gay, you chose to join the church, and I think you're leading up to the point that you can't control sexual orientation.
1: I was at the podium and I specifically said, I have a friend, Richard Osler, who taught me that, because I always wanted to take a pill or do something or pray the gay away, and to be straight, because it would be so much easier for me. And you were the one that said, but that would be erasing your whole identity. It's like hitting the delete button and you just wouldn't exist. And that goes back to what the general authority said when he said, I want you to write a book. He said, we need more LGBT people sharing charity in the pure love of Christ to show Christ-like attributes. And I know that at North Star, if Jesus was around... Now he would be at the North Star Conference because these are people that need him. And that's, that's where I could feel the presence. And so I, set, I, I came out at the podium, and people were coming out to me, going, they knew, already knew, because one person, when I was a walk in at the church, they said, uh, Trina Codler, she said uh, to her husband, does he realize where he is? He's at the Mormon church. Do we tell him to go to the Unitarians up the street or the Protestants? And and because they knew I was gay. But at the same time, it just felt like it needed to be verbally said.
0: Well done. And uh, we both know the answer to this question. It's kind of a silly question, but some people may you know, did getting baptized change your sexual orientation?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. However, it did remove things in my life that I had questions to, wondering if it would remove. It removed, um, because at the time, I didn't know what I was going to do when I'm a very cuddly and affectionate person. And I'm thinking, how am I going to not have, you know, that connection with another man And when I was baptized, that, that connection, that desire went away. So it was just, and before I was baptized, it was something that was, um, or before I started looking into the church, I used to, I say, I talk like a gay truck driver and I did, I was like somebody. And then I'm driving home from Palmyra. I listened to the same playlist. I listened going up and Richard, I don't mean to be stereotypical, but I used to love Madonna. Loved her. And I was listening to her, and I'm driving home, and she comes on, and all of a sudden it's like, be this and that and this word, and oh my gosh, and oh my goodness. And I almost crashed my car because I couldn't disconnect Bluetooth fast enough. And I'm saying, and I just pulled over and I looked up at God and I said, What have you done to me? You took away my Madonna? Like, it just didn't feel right to listen to the vulgarity.
0: Um, next question is: um, I understand you have a new career as a liter- literary agent. We tell our listeners about that.
1: <laughs> so, again, I was ignoring. I, I know not to ignore the promptings of the Holy Ghost, but I was ignoring the promptings of the Holy Ghost. So, I, I had a um, an acquisitions editor at our church-owned publisher um, leave, and she. I told her um, you should work part time as an LDS literary agent because. LDS clients don't have the proper representation because they think that because they're signing with the church owned publisher that everything's all set. And so I sent her a text and, and I, my agent was all for this. She said, this is great. There's nobody doing this. There's no LDS literary agent. And so this was back in September. And then I finally sent her a text saying, I don't have my master's in linguistics, from BYU. I can't do this. And Siri translated it as, I don't have my master's in Linguini. And I was just like, and I ignored it, but then it kept weighing. And it's the same when I became, when my first calling was ward missionary, I had to Google it. And then shortly after I became ward mission leader and I had to Google that. I had to trust in him. And I was saying, God, why me? when i should be saying what do i need to learn from this because this has made me my calling has made me a better missionary has made me better to serve him and i know that this career with my other career unraveling and unwinding and going down to and just falling apart um yes i'm a starving missionary so it's like uh, serving him and and that's when this unraveled i was saying I have to trust in him because he kept saying, you can do this, you can do this. Tell
0: our listeners what a literary agent is.
1: A literary agent is just like a music agent or a modeling agent, but we just represent authors. and And then we work with other agencies for movie rights or for foreign rights. And it's basically to work in the author's best interest to make sure that they um, are paid appropriately on digital and audio sales. That the copyright is reverted to their name, and we're basically like attorneys, where we know the contracts and we know the ins and outs, and we act as a liaison between the author and the publishing house.
0: If I'm a book writer, when is the best time to talk to you before I have a before I have a publisher? Um, just talk to our listeners it's, about the best.
1: So- So I have tomorrow I'm meeting with all the acquisitions editors at Deseret and I know the acquisitions editors at Cedar Fort, at, at, um, Siegel at, you know, Covenant, Shadow Mountain. It's just, I, so it's about my relationship with them. So when I read your, your synopsis or what it is you're looking to write, you don't have to have a complete manuscript, but if you have an outline, then I would know what editor to take it to. And an agent gets priority over somebody who just mails in a manuscript. So, it how would, be, would
0: people contact you if they um, wanted your services? They
1: can. I'm with literary or Talcott Notch Literary Services, and you can find a link on my website or on Instagram. I'm followed a lot on Instagram. And
0: tell um, us how to find you on your website or Instagram.
1: It's Dennis Schleicher, D E N N I S S C H L E I C H E R net, or it's Dennis Schleicher, you know, on Instagram, and you'll find me.
0: So, if I'm thinking of writing a book or have a draft of a manuscript, and I'm don't have a relationship with a publisher yet, that's a great time for me to reach out
1: to you. Yes, in mm-hmm. my case, I did it the opposite. I um, was was I called and left a voicemail with our church publisher, and and they called me back, and that's unheard of. And they said um, I was sent an email saying we're I, I'm. Brianna Farr and I'm the, the head acquisitions editor, and I'm in charge of your project. And when, and, that, and within 10 minutes of, of talking to someone else, that doesn't happen, but that's because the church, they knew the church told me to write this book and general authority had said, we want you to write this book. So after that, I said, okay, I have to call, I have to get an agent. So an agent was thrilled that somebody already sold a book deal. And then, so that is usually not the norm, but if that does happen and you want representation, by all means.
0: Yeah. So I, um, are there any other LDS literary agents or is this kind of a new, th- this I is mean, a, there's new a thing. need for book literary agents, but yes. is this a new thing to be an LDS literary agent?
1: This is a new thing. And it's funny because when I first contacted Deseret about it, they were like, why should we be dealing with an agent? Now they see that it's going to make their life a lot easier and that um, I understand the publishing world since 2006, and that I'm going to use my social media platform to promote what I believe in. And that a lot of authors, they look at your platform and see how many Instagram followers you have, how many Facebook followers you have. They don't need to worry about that with me because I have that platform. And I'm an influencer on social media. I get you know, ties and t-shirts. And it's like going to my post office box. It's like Christmas every day, you know, it's just, and, and rings and CTR rings and just all all this great Book of Mormon socks, you know, with temples and missionary socks. And, and I always give them a shout out.
0: You did a fireside in Fresno, California, and a woman did not want to attend. Um, It sounds like she did attend. Just talk about how that changed her life forever. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a sad story, Um, but it turns out to have a great ending. And this is how I love how Heavenly Father works. She's around 45 and and she pulled into the parking lot and she left and she couldn't, she was shaking so bad and she went home and then she came back and she didn't want to attend. Um, And I thought it, so afterwards, there was about 500 people at this fireside and 50% of them were inactive. So I was assuming it was because she was gay and had left the church which I shouldn't assume, but I was, or that maybe she was homophobic, but she was in line and she wanted to talk to me. The line went out the stake center into the Fourier. I mean, it was just almost out the door and she just started bawling. And I gave her my number and I said, call me. And we spoke a few weeks later and she said, I need to share with you. I didn't want to go because I thought all gay people were mean I thought they were all horrible people. And you're the first nice gay person I ever met. And when I asked her to share more about her story, when she was younger, her um, her father's brother came out and her mother's sister came out. And they both were like, you have to leave the church, you have to leave the church. And screaming and shouting. And this is, they're horrible. They're not good people. And they don't support us. And then it was... But I find that's the image we have in Utah is I live in Connecticut, but I, I find that this is why I need to do more firesides out here because it's just, people are so used to, you know, um, people, you know, marching in parades and screaming about equality and, 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 and downing them for their, for our religious beliefs that they assume all gay people are like that. Then she had a boyfriend come out. To her and when he was at BYU and said, "But you can't tell my mom." And then he became very mean to her and very um, saying, "You have to leave, you have to do this, and you have to do that." And then his, her, his mom was calling her, saying, "I haven't heard from my son in, year, in a while, why? you know and why hasn't he?" And she was told by him not to tell her. And so she respected that, but she just had this perception that gay people were not good people. And she lives in California and works in the movie industry, so it's just something that I was thinking, wow. And now we're like, we we text every couple of weeks, and she always wants to know how I'm doing, and and we have a great relationship.
0: I love that. Um, I'm glad she came, and I think you know, you more of these firesides need to happen. What's the most common thing you hear? after some of someone's been at one of your firesides or devotionals.
1: So this is hard for me uh to answer because it's it in our faith we're taught how can i help you it's about it's not about me it's about you. But i hear it on instagram all the time Um, I was taking, I was attacked by some negative emails and and blasted and they were going after my Instagram followers. And so I was praying and I felt I need to take the advice of General Conference, more uh, Nephi, less Wi-Fi. And so I posted that I was going to be taking a sabbatical and that people would be checking my accounts and everyone says, we need you, or I just, or you're needed, or I need you, or we need you. And then a general authority finally said to me when I met in his office with the apostles, and I told him this, I'm having a hard time with this. And he said, Son, this isn't, it's not that they need you. They need your testimony. They need your story. They need your strength. And so that separated it for me. So I didn't feel that it was about them going, me, 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 me. It was about, It still can be about you, 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 and how can I help you? And so I didn't want to come across like I have all these people saying, I need you or we need you. So now I know it's not, they don't need me. They need my testimony or they need my, my story.
0: And I hope more and more people can hear your story, Dennis. Tell us about, you've had a great relationship with your mission presidents uh, mission president in the past maybe and you tell us about your new mission president <laughs> and just how that's going
1: so this is hilarious so tell our listeners what mission you're in so i'm in the boston mission even though i live in connecticut so it's called the boston mission but it's from basically southern boston all the way down to um uh, bridgeport connecticut and then it goes up to uh into rhode island and so i um the first time he met it was a year ago in march And he goes, um, I was doing, um, a meeting, there was 12 missionaries after state conference and I was doing a little, you know, training and so on and so forth. And we were having lunch and he leaned over to me and he goes, I don't understand. So first of all, he had, he, he knows five languages fluently, didn't know English at all when he was called to be a mission president in Spain. And he was like, oh, guess I got to learn language number six. So there's a language barrier. And so then he, 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 he leans over to me. He goes, I don't understand mission. President Miller told me I need to talk to you because you've had all these baptisms and you work with all of our missionaries and we just love you, but I don't understand what this LGBT thing is. What is that? And he goes, and I go, I whisper in his ear, gay. And he goes, Oh, gay. Nice. Gay. Good. Oh, we love the gay. So, and I'm like, um, and his wife is going, honey quiet, I'll explain to the car, honey, you know, like, and it was hilarious. Well, this past Christmas, he invited me to zone conference. And now I'm invited to all the zone conferences, because the missionaries love me. I'm also an ambassador for missionaries worldwide. So I collect stories to help people prepare for their mission. So he ends up introduced me at the podium and he goes ah oh, everybody know our honorary missionary Dennis everybody know Dennis he's so nice he gay gay good gay so nice oh we love the gay you know like and oh. it, it was just like i wanted to crawl under the pew and it was hilarious but the missionaries were dying they it's were great dying for the missionaries and so and they were like oh, that's our mission president you know but it was just the whole language thing and and I love him. He's he's a sweetheart. You know, he's a teddy bear. So um, he's a great guy. I can call him and his wife anytime or text him. And he's always there to answer my calls. And I'm still a greenie, so I'm still learning. So it's kind of like he's taking me on as one of his missionaries, which is kind of cool. And even though I do a lot of work outside of his territory, he's still there for me.
0: I love that. And I would think your impact on these missionaries is huge. And as you know, culturally, sometimes we have jokes. Um, I've heard many, several stories from the MTC about that's so gay, or that sometimes we create community mm. about making fun of another group. And so you may be, you know, for these young men and young women, the first gay Latter day Saint they're meeting. How are the missionaries responding to you?
1: Oh, it is well, you've seen the pictures on social media. Um, they love it. They love me. They 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 just are they they are so excited. We get to be transferred to Dennis's area. You know, like it's just incredible. Like the way they light up when they find out that they're gonna be serving with Dennis. But they don't have to just be in my area. I mean, I go everywhere. So it's just but it's, it's, no, I have never, I actually had a missionary who was very homophobic from Brazil, St. Paulo, and, and she wrote um, a, an excerpt, just like you did in the beginning of my book, what people are saying about Izzy Nuts. And that was something else I was very adamant about. Normally it would be accolades for Dennis or accolade or, you know, uh, praise for Dennis. And I didn't want that in my, in the front of the book. I wanted it to be not about me. So we changed it to what people are saying rather than praise or accolades. And so she was very homophobic and she, it was Peter, hug a gay Latter-day Saint. She was a couple years ago at General Conference and she was released and she sent me a photo with him and she said, Dennis, thank you. She goes, I was very homophobic. And in the beginning of the book, I made her change it from homophobic to naive because I said, or innocent because you just didn't know you're young and you never met another gay person. So I just, Scott McIntosh taught a great story at North Star this past weekend, a message because he was very homophobic. And he said, even after his son was came out, and two years later, he's like, Would you, you gotta read this and it's gonna make you straight. You gotta read that. And he said that his son taught him how to be more Christ-like. And that just, because his son would go, okay, dad, okay. And he was like Christ. His gay son was like Christ and taught him that contention never wins, to take the higher ground. And that was, brought me to tears. And that's what, that's what I think more of us need to be like, if we've left the church is not to be, you know, screaming and shouting in the streets, but I mean, to do, if you want to do a gathering, you know, do it peaceful and do it calm, but, but don't, you know, force things down people because change happens from people being on the, it's just like the Martin Luther King movement. There are people on the inside and there's people on the outside. And we need everybody, and we just need to love all.
0: Um, just a comment, and then I'll give you a next question. I was at my high school reunion, and a father of a missionary, a straight missionary, told me a story, and he said, my son's a missionary, and he mentioned the name of the mission here in the States. And the mission president asked a question in a training meeting, he says, what do we need to improve as a mission to help find more people? And this brave elder raised his hand and says, stop the gay jokes. <laughs> and the mission president said, "You're right. We need to stop yeah. the gay jokes. There's no, there's nothing about Christ in a culture that has gay jokes." And I just loved that story.
1: Yeah, um, and and that goes back to when I was speaking in another part of California, in in Arcadia and Pasadena. I was um, the mission president or the stake president was getting all these calls when they posted on their Facebook page from other stake presidents going, has your Facebook page been hacked? You know, and he's like, no, he's a full temple recommend holder. He's a ward mission leader. He's had 11 convert baptisms. And the mission president and his wife were so happy to meet me. They're like, can you stay with us in the mission home? We need you. Like, you know, we need you. You know, our missionaries need you. And she came up and hugged me and I kind of pushed her away because she was wearing a black badge. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, Dennis, get over here. You're gay. Give me a hug. You know, like it was just this, this, she embraced me. And so that mission, that's right. We have to stop the gay jokes.
0: Why are your firesides so
1: important? Because I believe that, or I know through Heavenly Father, and I know through all the hundreds of times I spent at the temple, um, and I get this, that that members and non-members need to hear my conversion story and need to hear that if I can deal with the adversary, they can deal with it. But they also walk away saying, we've needed this for years. You know, we needed this. We need somebody that can be funny and energetic and and I mean, I, I I tell a true story about my parents are fundamentalist born-again Christians. And before when I was um before the book was launched, I decided I fell through Heavenly Father I have to be out here for four months to do firesides and devotionals. And I came out here on basically, you know, prayers, drove out here and and the adversary was t- coming down on me so hard that it was just I I was like, I can't do this. I gotta turn around. And then when I broke down outside of Nauvoo. I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of here. I can't deal with this. I I felt like it, I, I have to trust in the Holy Ghost because people need to hear this story. People need to hear that it's not, they're not alone. Or I have people that that um I was feeling prompted the other day to wear a rainbow bow tie to um to the, to sacrament meeting. And I didn't want to wear it because I'm going, I had another outfit prepared, you know, I'm gay and I had an outfit. I liked it. Come on. You know, like I had to wear it. And it said, no, wear that, wear that. And there was a reason people came up to me afterwards saying we need, I needed this. And you you answered my prayers. And I just, you know, I have two sons that are gay and they're not talking to me or these are elderly women hugging me. And, and this is where, you know, when I did the firesides in Utah, when I was um, out here for four and a half months doing the, the devotionals and firesides and FHEs, there's an interesting story up, um, and another time I won't mention it, but I have a friend who's a bishop, and he spoke to a stake president uh, down south, and they said, we don't have any gay people here. And uh, we don't have this issue. No one's ever come out to me. And I'm saying, oh, great. Well, that must explain why I sold zero books in American Fork. And that's perfect. I love this. And I was talking to Becky McIntosh and she said, no, that's not the case. It's because they don't have a comfortable safe haven. And a few nights before, I just did an FHE at my friend who's a bishop's house And he said, I texted him and I said, I'm with Becky McIntosh. I'm staying at her house. And I said, you have to call me ASAP. And he said, I will. One o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and it was him. And he said, I'm sorry it's so late, but my phone's been ringing off the hook because now people see me like Richard Osler is as hip and cool as a bishop. And they are you know, telling me stories. And so what you're saying is validating what is needed. They need to have that comfortable safe haven.
0: I love that. Um, you've done a you do a lot of home teaching and missionary work. Yes. Um, so I call it the you have an LDS tools assignment that's first counselor in the elders quorum presidency, but then you have these all this ministry that doesn't show up on LDS tools. And some of that is your home teaching and missionary work. Talk about that.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, I, I feel that if everybody, there'd be no need for callings if everybody did what we're supposed to do, because I'm finding doing ministering as to and doing the ministering interviews that so many people just, they haven't seen somebody in years or so on and so forth. So I love it. But as far as the missionary work that I do that is my only way from the adversary is to either be at the temple, be at church or do service to others. So I immerse myself in anywhere from, you know, 12 to 22 home teachings a week. And it's not all in person because sometimes it's overseas. Sometimes it's, it's through, you know, Skype, it's through Facebook videoing. And again, you know, um, the, the, number one need is people don't feel that we accept, love and accept all. And that's when I'm called in and they're losing a testimony. Or they have a family member who's come out and they don't know if the church will accept them. And I'm like, hello, look at me. I'm like a rainbow flag here and I'm pounced on by the church members. And so it's something that is is definitely needed. And, and I always say we need more dentists because there's things I can't do everything at once.
0: Talk about, do you, um, do missionaries outside of your area reach out to you when they're teaching an LGBTQ person? Do you, through internet technology, yes. get looped into those lessons?
1: Yes, they do. Um, I get emails and, and messages all the time from people overseas. I've done them in England. I've done them in Europe. Uh, I've done them in Asia. I've done Is that them
0: like a Facebook group yeah. conference or
1: Skype call Skype. Or, and I've, where you it, Skyped into a lesson with the missionaries. I, I now am starting in like people that are getting called into my area say, oh, my grandmother read your book or my grandmother told me you're getting called to Dennis's area, you know? And so It's people, when the missionaries first baptized me, the sisters, they were praying for a walk-in and and I was at walk-in and they ended up going around saying, we got a gay, we got a gay, we got a gay. And I'm fine with that because it's something that they, you know, it's needed. So they tell their parents and their parents tell their children and they get ready to go on missions. Just like when you felt compelled to introduce me to your son, last March when I was out here that he was getting ready to serve a mission. And you said, you never know when you're going to need Dennis.
0: I remember that. yeah. And I've thought of that actually right before you said that. Um, I know you get a lot of questions from people because you make yourself available on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as our listeners know, there's a direct message function. So someone can obviously post on your Facebook page, but You probably get a lot of private messages that no one else can see, but you that are much more vulnerable. Yeah. And some of those are really positive and some of those are really negative. Yes. Just um, talk about a list of top questions you ask that get asked that maybe this podcast you can point people to, um, that they can hear the answer.
1: So I, I basically have a challenge right now with Facebook Messenger because there's like 2,200 unread messages because I get death threats, I get hate mail, I get, and it's all from members who have left the church. And I don't know if it's a chain mail in lieu of Christmas cards, we're sending this, or it's just, so I am, I can't manage the Facebook messenger side right now. So it's, it's, I'm trying to work on that. And, but as far as when I do get emails, they're so emotional. They're so like they don't know whether they should come out or they need my help. Or you I I shared a few of them with you. And I just was was at a point where I mean, I within one hour I had three. And then it was 2:30 in the morning my time. And I'm getting ready to go to bed and I get a phone call on my iPhone. It's from a blocked number and it's from a guy who says, I am holding, I'm in bed holding your book, and I'm holding a gun. And if your book doesn't give me the testimony that I need, I'm going to shoot myself. And I lost it. Richard, I lost it. Not with him. I always look to to God and say, help me, I need you. But I was so vulnerable, like I'm going, this guy's life is is in my hands and he's reaching out to me for a reason. And I was thinking he shouldn't be reading my book. He should be reading scripture. He should be reading, he should be reaching out to friends. He should be reaching out to family. Later, I found out that my book did give him that strength he needed.
0: That's great. Do you know what in your book did that? Do you know what specifically was the thing that helped him not choose suicide that night?
1: I I don't, but I know that from the 40-something reviews I've had on Amazon, Um, they're all from people. There's one from Quilter Seven. I don't even know who she is. And she said, I'm a mom. I bought this book. I had no intention of having my children read it. It is so well done. It's now mandatory reading for all my children. Uh, I have had people say they're going to buy it for their bishops, their stake presidents, their, their leaders as Christmas presents. And, um, so I don't know, but it's just, it's this, it's the whole book is a transformative journey. It just literally is from beginning to end. And I think it shows that converts have a past that, you know, just like I discriminated against Al Caraway, you know, and that's something that I didn't want to read about some tattooed woman because I go, I don't want, you know, I don't have, I don't have tattoos. I'm scared of needles. And so it, and she was my revelation that I could write this book because I ignored the. Way to go to Al
0: Carraway. You're yeah, way to a go rock, to Al Caraway. We both
1: love you. So I just I, I I don't know exactly what it was that that prompted him not to end his life, but I'm grateful.
0: There's a lot of people, and some of you are listeners that are in a real bad spot. Are LGBTQ friends, um, I've learned one of my favorite models of people that are feeling suicidal is the feeling of not belonging. Um and Dennis feels like he belongs in our church, but a feeling of not belonging and a feeling that I'm I'm a burden or perceived burdenous And some of our LGBTQ members feel like they're messing up their eternal family, their broader family, and falsely conclude their family would be better off without them alive. And so that resonates with me. And I think that's why Dennis' book is so helpful. It helps us to know we belong and that we're not a burden. And so I love what that teaches there. You could probably get a... Here's a couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, you know, these are questions that I'm sure you get. Why do you choose to live a life of celibacy? Um, everyone deserves to be with someone, but you've chosen the life... To yes. Be, you've chosen to be celibate.
1: So I wear the CTR ring on my wedding band because when it was, the significance was, was given that's to me. That's right. My so right
0: men- where my wedding ring is, you yeah. have a CTR ring.
1: Right there. And the, um, it, it, I, I have many meanings for it. It means, uh, choose the right with a shield around it, but it also means to me, current temple recommend holder. And that's something I'm very proud of. And I, so, so to go back to, um, your question about what, why did I choose to live a life of celibacy? I honestly didn't know how I was going to do that until after I was baptized, but I've lived on both sides of the track. So I think of myself like a priest or a nun that that takes the law of chastity and that they are not allowed to have sexual relations. So that's how I view myself, is just like a priest or a nun.
0: That's a great answer. Um, when someone says you deserve to be with someone, is that your answer? And it says, I just feel this is my path. Don't sort of it's like, I mean, on the road to Damascus, I can't quite remember that story, but someone said, get out of my path or, you know, yeah. you're blocking my path. So yeah. I think what you're saying is, this is my path. Don't tell me how to live my life. This is what I've chosen to live. And don't make me think or feel I'm not authentic or I'm not real because this is the way I've chosen to live my life. Honor my journey. Is that fair?
1: Yes, it is. Yes.
0: Um. Here's another one. You know, you probably get messages like, I feel really sad for you, Dennis. Hmm. Um, you don't have a partner that you're not living, quote, unquote, an authentic life. The church is just using you.
1: Oh, I get that a
0: lot. And so that's really painful. I mean, yeah. and so how do you... Re- I, tell us how that makes you feel. Because I well, feel bad even asking that question out loud, but I think you get it. So, I'm First
1: not, of all, yeah. And then what do you so say? The church... Um, The church is not using me. I think the church all is aware of me. The general authorities all know who I am and the area seventies know who I am. And, but I think there's, they all back my firesides. They all will put their name on it, but they haven't publicly done that. And I think it's because they're kind of like, well, what do we do with Dennis? We know he has a great testimony. We know he has the Holy ghost. We know he does great work and he works for the, with the church, you know, 18 hours a day doing missionary work that it's kind of like, what do we do with Dennis? So, but with that being said, um, I do not feel the church is using me because I did not join the church to be an author. I did not join the church to be a fireside speaker. I did not join the church to be a spokesperson. I didn't want to be the token gay convert, you know, if you may. And so I now have had to change my whole persona of what it's okay to be this because this is what is needed. And this is what... So before I was baptized, uh, there was Derek and Shelby Hall. They felt they... In St. George, they felt that I needed to have... This is a 71-year-old couple that they knew I was going to have a larger calling than than what I was going to be doing in the church. But they didn't tell me. And I thank them for not telling me because had they told me, I would have canceled <laughs> my baptism. But it's... It's my feet are so cemented into this church that I can't be living both sides of the track. I respect those that leave the church because they need to experience the other sides. But I have, and, and in my book, I think this will explain it better with somebody who reads my book. They would understand what is, you know, why I chose to. I wanted a monogamous relationship, I wanted somebody. That yeah, you know, I could adopt children with. I wanted somebody that we could live in a house with a white picket fence and just have that perfect all-American LDS life. I didn't even I didn't even know what LDS was at the time. So I think that's something that um you know, I know they're not I know they're not using me because it's just something I, but I have to validate them and say that's your opinion, I feel otherwise.
0: Um, I just, yeah, I love that answer. And I recognize one of the challenges of being LGBTQ when you choose the road for you is potentially people are harder on you than a straight person. I choose as a straight person, I've just chosen my road. It's the heteronormative road in society. And no one's looking over my shoulder, sort of second guessing me. And I recognize as you've taken this um, feeling of celibacy consistent with your concurrent with your baptism, that that's been your road, and I just hope that none of us add to your burden by not saying, you know, any of these comments that just make it more difficult for you. We should, in the church, out of the church, straight, or LGBTQ, I just hope you feel love from us for uh, choosing the road that you feel is right for you. I
1: have goosebumps, Richard, and and,
0: serving um, our Heavenly Father and bringing others to Christ. I just hope we could all do that.
1: Thank you. I have goosebumps because I feel nothing but love from the members of the church. I have received zero negative comments from members of the church. It's people who have left the church that I get the death threats and the hate mail from. So it's just my, so I have a lot of work to do with my firesides and devotionals on both sides, you know, to to bridge that gap.
0: Um, so I like that. And I've met some people that have, I think... I just one of the purposes of this podcast is try to bridge the gap, even between LGBT people left in the church, and try to ha- even those that have left is honor their road and recognize that's part of the doctrine of agency, and leave that at the Savior's feet their decisions and be kind to them like you are, Dennis. But then, then you know, I hoping that those that have left the church and felt like that wasn't their path or even feel pain from the church. Um. That they that we can just honor each other's path and and try not to lift our path at the expense of another person's path yes um talk about north Star um you spoke at North Star yes I did we were just talking before we went live
1: it was a standing room a only
0: standing room only um section you did and it just introduce and i i have um been to North Star a couple times and just continue to really appreciate, support, and admire that organization and the great work they're doing. But if those aren't familiar with Northstar, just tell our listeners about
1: Northstar. Well, let me tell you my experience with Northstar first is when I was researching recommended websites and stuff for the back of my book and resources, I ended up um, going to North Star's website, and I spent a couple of minutes on it, and I said, "Oh gosh, this is conversion therapy." You know, I've been, my parents have done that with me, being born again Christians, been there, done that, not going to do it again. And then I started hearing about it, and then when Becky, when I filled out the, when Becky McIntosh asked me to speak, I said yes, and then when I got the application, it said do you have to stand with all of the leaders of the church and sustained every, all the questions were asked for our temple recommend. And I'm going, wow. Okay. This is pretty cool. And then being there, I got to meet so many beautiful souls and spirits that came up to me saying, thank you. And that's something that, you know, it was a standing ovation when I was done speaking. Cool. And, and that deserved. was, that was, but again, When everyone started clapping when I was introduced, I kept going my hands down, putting them down, saying, come on, sit down. It's not about me. This is about you. This is about you. Because I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. And that's something that, um, so, yes, I I was very, I I was, I was so honored. And I, I mean, I wish I had the time to volunteer and help with them because I just think they're a great cause. And they stand with the church, and I love it. No matter whether you're in a mixed orientation marriage, or you're left the church, or you're married to your um, LGBT, married to a same-sex partner, everyone's accepted there. And even leaders are accepted there. And I wish I invited more leaders to go, because I was so moved, I was in tears multiple times.
0: Yeah, I've, um, North Stars held once a year. You can go to their website. I don't know exactly what is it is off the top of my head. Um, you could just Google North star LDS and you're going to get to their website. North star is kind of a common name. So you probably need to add the word LDS.
1: It is because I've done it and found (laughs) a bunch of other North stars. So yeah.
0: yeah. So, um, find the right one and I, there'll be an annual conference next March. And I encourage our listeners to plan ahead. There's wonderful breakout sessions for the groups that Dennis described. And it's a real spiritual feast and it's, um, it's a wonderful, supportive group. It's not directly associated with the church. Um, it runs independent from the church, but as Dennis mentioned, its values are just the same values as the church. And I wish I had gone to North Star, you know, 10 years ago. I wish I had gone there before I was a YSA bishop and because I would have learned so much um, by listening to LGBTQ people. Um, how would people, if there's somebody who wants you to come do a fireside, how do they contact
1: you? They can go to my website, Dennis, Dennis Schleicher.net, and then S-C-H-L-E-I-C-H-E-R, and there's request a speaking engagement. And they can just fill out a brief form. It just tells me how many people they expect to attend, where it is, and so on and so forth. And then we can go from there.
0: Um, any other... Th- Anything else you want to share with our listeners, Dennis?
1: Yes. Um, the one thing that when I was driving here that was very adamant was was the adversary. He's real, and he's he's coming after those like Al Caraway and myself, and uh, and even listeners that 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 are going to do good in this church or even out of the church, and that he is real. But we have the ability to. Um, you know, I was told before the book came out by a general authority that we suggest you get weekly comfort blessings and I'm embarrassed to ask for them every week because I don't want to say I need another comfort blessing. I need a comfort blessing. So, but I find that the weeks that I don't get them, it's when, oh my gosh, it is the adversary comes down strong. So don't be afraid to ask for comfort blessings. Even if you're not a member of the church, don't be afraid to ask for prayers or for someone to put your name in the temple or an oil blessing if you're feeling sick. Don't be afraid for that because the adversary comes down on all of us. Some of us in dealing with converts, um, I would say he comes after the converts more because he wants to give us doubt. And that's just know he's real. Know that 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 you know, we, again, have the agency to ask, reach out and ask for help. But there's times that I'm so, there's such a black cloud over me. I can't, I can't even move. And I just have to, you know, hey, say, hey, Siri, you know, call so-and-so and and have them come over and give me a blessing. So that way I'm protected. You can be protected too.
0: I love that. And I love, I think we underestimate the power of comfort blessings, priesthood blessings. And I love that. And um, so we'll just end on that. That's a great way to end. Thank you, um, Richard. Dennis Schleicher, one of my personal heroes, author of, of He is Nuts, Why a Gay Man Would Become Member of the LDS Church. Um, I think the book title is the full name of the church. Um, Fireside it, Speaker. It, is
1: he nuts? Is he nuts? Why would a gay man become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ?
0: So check out that book. Please read that book. Um, grateful for Dennis and all the work that he's doing, helping people to come into Christ through our church, um, helping improve the culture of our church, helping us understand that LGBTQ people are not this outside group of people. They're our own people, our own members, and and needed to help us become the body of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians 12. We thank you, our listeners, for listening, those of you that go and— um, Leave a comment on Apple. Appreciate those or rating those help um, boost, I think, just the number of people engaging in the podcast. I'm grateful for all you that are sharing and inviting others to listen to this podcast so stories like Dennis can be heard in a broader audience. And this is Richard Osler signing off. Mm-hmm.